Hey listeners, want to start your own podcast? Let us tell you our favorite tool. Anchor is the one-stop shop for all your podcasting needs. Here's why. Anchor lets you record and edit your show right from your phone or computer. So no matter your setup, you can start creating right now. Then it distributes your show to the most popular listening platforms like Apple and Spotify. Plus, it's the only place you can send video content to Spotify. Creators can even earn money on Anchor with ads and subscriptions. Best of all, it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You are now listening to FemRegard Podcast with Tessa Markle and Carolina Alvarez. Welcome back again, Fem Fam. If you are watching right now, that means you are already a Patreon. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're listening, that means you're a loyal listener. So thank you anyway. Um, but if you're interested in some exclusive video content, like today's episode is going to be, head on over to patreon.com slash femregard and you can donate as little as a dollar to us a month or up to $20 or more. It all goes into our production piggy bank, which allows us to buy equipment, fund things we're filming, pay for this podcast. <laughs> so thank you guys uh, for those of you who donate and who listen. And I hope you enjoy because today we have an awesome guest, Carolina. Do yes. You introduce? Yes, yes, yes. Today we have CEO Stephen Strong here with us from Quasar Science. Hey, Hello. hey. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, we are. We know Quasar Science to be the trailblazers of the most used LED lighting technology, especially for us independent filmmakers. Their lights are known for their color and temperature being on mark and having a really strong light output. Um, well, their products caught our attention on the gram, mm -hmm. especially to some of our friends on the show who have used them. So shout out to Isabella Tan from Rebel Motion, Emily Sky from She Will Films, and Michael Robire from Sightbe Studios for highlighting their work on, on the gram. And we love their featured work. And so we're now excited to spill the tea on their set lighting products and overall the important factors to consider with lighting design. So, Stephen, thanks for coming down again. <laughs> um, yeah, what a journey, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I love everyone you mentioned there in, in the lead-in. Um, we They're great artists, so uh, we support them. Um, they do a lot of great work, uh, big fans. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, we were, we were so we were like so excited to see all of you guys start to partner together, and that's why we wanted to really highlight to you because I feel like that community specifically of independent filmmakers um, are using your product in a way that I think makes sense to us as mm -hmm. non-lighting DP kind of people. Um, so let's take it back and first tell us where your background was and and what led you to building Quasar Science. Well, I uh, I got into the industry, the film industry, uh, when I was pretty young. Uh, I was 18 when I came to Los Angeles, and by the time I was 19, I was already in the union, which is a very, very lucky thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, I spent, that was in 95, so I spent um, quite a lot of time working on movies, did both uh, 
on-set first unit work and uh, rigging work. Um, so I learned kind of the ropes pretty fast. Um, it was uh, it was a definitely a great time, but after a while, I started getting sick of picking up heavy equipment mm -hmm. for other people. And I wanted <laughs> yep. to kind of, you know, try and get something And Atessa always throws things my way. I'm like, girl, that, that, that. <laughs> I'm just trying to beef you up, okay? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, uh, I, always, um, I always say that, you know, nobody's excited when they open the truck up at 6 a.m. to see all the lights in there and stuff like that, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So the mm -hmm. best you can do is to, you know, make something for people that is easy to use and reliable. Mm -hmm. um, because I've been, you know, uh, certainly on the receiving end of the worst troubleshooting you could have on set when everybody's looking at you and stuff like that. But um, we, uh, with Quasar, uh, we definitely, I think... Um, wanted to make things that were simple which reflected kind of our view of just how you should light in the first place mm -hmm. so um i had come up uh in the industry um under some really talented uh dps that worked a lot which maybe meant something different than you were you know the most coveted dp but she did movie after movie after movie after movie so i got a lot of experience fast coming up in the industry and eventually i started uh best boying mm -hmm. which assistant chief lighting technician as we now call it in the union but <laughs> um i started best boying actually fairly young and uh i found myself kind of getting more and more jobs as department head and stuff like that so um that's what led me to start working with the guys that i eventually started quasar with uh, which would be my uh, four partners and Quasar is still a pretty new company. Um, for you listeners, we were just chatting about this before the episode. So if you want to tell our listeners um, when you started Quasar and just kind of what you guys have learned from starting, first of all, starting your own business just in the industry at all. And, you know, how you've worked with other filmmakers and just the, the process of getting started, really. Well, I got into the industry myself to be a filmmaker, and then I kind of just got caught up in being a lighting technician as my career. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the first thing I would say to your listeners is that if you really want to be a filmmaker, don't come to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> but we'll get into that maybe later. Um, but yeah, so we, uh, the, I'll, I'll just go right to the, we were on True Blood. Um, it was 2009 that we started on True Blood, and I was working with a bunch of basically friends. And uh, at the time, uh, some other friends of ours had started another company that everyone should check out called Light Gear. Um, and uh, Light Gear was kind of a, a lighting technician built company. Mm -hmm. And so we all started thinking, like, maybe we could kind of you know do something with this new led technology that nobody really knew much about at the time there were only a couple mm -hmm. companies doing it back then mm -hmm. so um fast forward to around 2012 and uh actually around 2011 and another friend of ours that had a lighting brand um he brought some incredible led fixtures over um his company was called mac tech led and they uh had these incredible 
big fixtures, LED fixtures for like pro studio work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but but inside of them were these tubular LED lights that were basically like a fluorescent tube. Mm -hmm. And I remember distinctly pulling one of the tubes out of the fixture and walking over to my partner and going like, these things are cool, but this by itself, that's a product that, you know, yeah, might be yeah. something incredible that we could do something with. And funny enough, that wasn't even really the inception of us being a tube company. Our customers did that for us. Okay. Oh, but interesting. We were looking for you know, what would be useful. We wanted to solve workflow issues. There's no reason to make something that is already out there, right? So right. Um, we realized that LED light bulbs were coming on really fast and you were having companies like uh, countries like Australia outlawing incandescent bulbs and stuff like that. So mm. we were on True Blood in the beginning, like, you know, 2008, 2009, and we would use these very high output specialty light bulbs that like 500 watts you would, you know, would never use at home, of course, but beginning in the show, you'd order a hundred and you could get them easy. By 2012, they were trying to find them all over the place because they just didn't make them anymore. Oh, wow. So I started thinking, um, well, that's the thing to do is make LED light bulbs at the time, LED light bulbs in like Home Depot and stuff in hardware stores. They were all, they flickered on camera. They had terrible color. Ter all LED, even LEDs in the film industry at that point still had terrible color. Mm -hmm. You had directors of photography saying, I will never use LEDs <laughs> on set. They were, that was yeah. said so many times in that era when LED color was just, it made people's skin tones look horrible and so forth and so on. So gotcha. in the long run, um, we decided that's where to go. And the fluorescent tube kind of replacement was part of that vision, right? So we would make light bulbs and we would also make the like retrofit fluorescent tubes. Mm -hmm. um, there was another company in the industry, you may have heard of KinoFlow. They make fluorescent fixtures um, and now they're 100% LED now and they make great lights as well. But they um, th they weren't really going to move forward with doing LED tubes. And we thought we can retrofit all those old fixtures. You know what I mean? The, I mean, Kino has been around for a long time. So there's thousands, tens of thousands mm -hmm. of Kino fixtures in the market. So that was kind of the like the 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 um inception of, of the concept uh we hadn't come up with the name we hadn't come up with the logo none of that was even close yet so uh and we started seeking out uh led manufacturers and kind of everything went from there we released uh our first um line of products at the end of 2014 and um that was that really definitely uh, i will say again that a lot of it was about not wanting to, you know, the film industry is obviously, as we all know, a lot of hours and a lot of heavy lifting, yeah. whether it's psychologically or physically. <laughs> and so, yeah, we definitely wanted to. And so we started a company, which I don't think was the way to get out of the psychological warfare part of being <laughs> in the film not. industry. But, yeah. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I think that's so, um, it's great for people who, you know, are starting out, don't have a huge budget, so they don't have a big crew. So, you know, maybe they have someone who knows what they're doing with lighting, but it's one person, you know, and they don't have anyone to help them carry any of that. Like the efficiency of, yeah, products that are smaller, are lightweight, are more efficient and affordable. Like that's all so important to right. people like us, you know? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think for our listeners who haven't um, seen your product yet and will after this episode, <laughs> um, yeah, that's what really uh, drew my attention was that they were just these simple linear lights that I felt really could lend to a filmmaker's imagination on how you play with it, mm -hmm. the versatility and yeah, the the easy, the user friendliness to it, to where you can, Tessa and I and a, a couple, like a smaller crew, especially we, we don't have to get into it too much, but COVID times too, mm -hmm. like you, mm -hmm. you need lightweight, easy accessibility because our crews now are, are limited as well. So I think that's going to be really awesome for, for people to think about when planning their sets. I think on that note, uh, it's definitely, um, this is a good topic for me because the, there's a little misconception about our tubes kind of so back to that story about mm -hmm your customers kind of telling you what kind of company you're going to be. <laughs> we were thinking that the tubes were still light bulbs for fixtures, if, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And then people started just using the tubes as singular lighting mm -hmm. fixtures. Mm -hmm. And then we were suddenly like, uh, you know, wait a minute. And that's when the tubes really took off in sales. And then that's where we were like, okay, I guess we're the tube company now yeah. because this is what's going on. Uh, so we started to really work on, you know, kind of perfecting that linear um, LED light. Well, for us, it was still an off-camera light. Mm -hmm. Everything about oh, really? Everything, <laughs> everything so about what we ever wanted yeah. to do was off-camera. Um, it was a slim light you could get in the corner. It was a slim light that you could get up in the you know ceilings. Um, in uh, any kind of low-profile situation, a small hallway, you can't often fit some of the bigger lighting fixtures that you know that you might need. And the tricky thing that people started realizing and that with our tubes, you can either have like a big four foot by four foot panel that you're putting light through to get soft wrap. Right. But if, if your light is actually just four foot wide, mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. will look as though it is that big four by four panel. So there's a lighting effect that you get, which, you know, let's say you, you're, you're a filmmaker that, you know, comes in your Prius to, 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 to work. Mm -hmm. uh, our tubes um, actually give you a large type of light field that you couldn't get without a bigger kind of fixture to, to or a bigger piece of diffusion or, you know, a right. frame or all of these things that you see on set all the time. They take up so much room. And especially if you're just doing right. kind of, you know, more independent projects or, or you need to be in and out of location really fast. I think there's also... Um, I mean, it's not just about affordability. It's just about efficiency a lot of times as and well. And time. Yeah, mm -hmm. like just always having to reset your lighting. That on that just always takes so much time because you have to like imagine. I'd love to hear your tips and tricks. But, you know, with your subject, if you're changing constantly, like your subject and your location, that that takes time, the, mm -hmm. the preparation of before and after. Well, each stand you have is kind of, you know, your crew can break down if the cinematographer is maybe from out of town and you're using a local crew. And then suddenly the cinematographer kind of wants a lot more than those guys were planning on. And then suddenly they're like, again, the more stands. Mm -hmm the more 
actions it takes to, to, to mm. turn around or to do any kind of change. Um, you know, so I think it's, it's important for us to start kind of learning how to light without all of the, the gack, especially if you're an up and coming filmmaker, I tell you what, uh, if you're out there, you, you, it's one thing to kind of think old school where you're going to demand the image for yourself and you are mm -hmm. going to tell the producers, no, we are going to have these lights or we're going to take this time to do this. But probably until you're working on Avengers 19, you probably <laughs> won't really be able to pull that kind of power. So you have to mm -hmm. become efficient at getting the look that you know you want and get it fast, get in and out. And then the producers are going to love you. They're going to be like, Oh my God, these guys are like, it looks great. And then, you know, <laughs> lickety split, they were done. And so I think time and efficiency is now becoming uh, very important for film like technique and mm -hmm. technology. Absolutely. And I think it's important too for, you know, no matter what um, position you take on in a film, whether you're the director, the cinematographer, you know, whatever it is that you're doing to have an idea about lighting, even if you're not like in charge of it. Cause like, personally, I feel like I know nothing about lighting, but then I talk to people who know even less than me and I'm like, oh, okay, I, at least I get the basic concepts. But it's so important because, you know, like you were saying with moving things around, it, it's not just moving when you're changing location. It's, you know, if you're getting a different angle, you've right. got to completely move all the lights around. So, you know, if you are a line producer, a producer in general, like where right. the you've role got to Tessa and I are typically in, absolutely. That's something you don't realize till you're like doing the line breakdown mm -hmm. in. And that's so important into the whole production. And, and then it adds into your cost and who you want to hire, which is always great to hire a good DP. But even if it's just like you said, like a, on a very small scale, if it's like a interview styled, you'll impress whoever you're working for if you can be very efficient with your time and, and who you have on the team. Well, and know, know the project as well. There are certain times when you need to say, look, to get this look that you want as the producer. I mean, this is something that I think a lot of technicians, I, I was a little bit of a, like, I, I spent most of my career as a rigging gaffer, which for those of you who don't know, in, in bigger Hollywood movie making, that's when you go into the studio ahead of time or into the location ahead of time and you rig all the big lights and make it ready for shooting. So power and everything like that, mm -hmm. power for transportation, power for, for everybody, the, the effects fans, you know, all that different stuff. So I kind of spent my time with the producers much more than you would if you were the first unit gaffer a lot of times or even the dp especially on a tv series where you're almost the rep for because the first ac in the camera department he doesn't go talk about you know the dp says this is what we need mm -hmm. uh, on the camera department and they're pretty much good with that mm. but on the lighting side the rigging gaffer winds up being coming the guy that has to go and like justify it well he wants this and that right. kind of thing and I, my tactic wound up being, you know, I, I spent years like stammering around trying to help justify everything. <laughs> and after a while, I got that my first answer was always, it's my job to say yes to them. It's your job to say no. So if you don't want him to have all these lights, he's right over there. You can have that conversation <laughs> with him about. And um, I uh, pretty much got everything that they wanted every time because the producers didn't want to go have that argument with the DP. So mm. uh, I found that uh, and that's, you know, that's uh, obviously nothing against the producers. I've worked with incredible producers and I have complete respect for production, even though sometimes it can be tough between crew and production, obviously. But um, yeah, definitely. Uh, 
you have to um, be quick, efficient. Uh, you'll get hired way more than if it even maybe looks as better than the other guys, which is kind of sad as far as the artistic side of our <laughs> culture, but you know, that's the way it goes. I think that's really, um, there's some key things that you spilled the tea on, as we like to say on the show there, because it, it's hard for, for production, yeah, sometimes to understand always the environment too, of, in which you have to juggle like justifying a shot or the light. Mm -hmm. And and that's why, again, I think it's great to be educated as much as you can. And thank you guys for tuning in as you do. Um, we're hoping we can give you some inside scoop to the other fields, because even if you aren't interested in being a DP, a lighting tech specialist, et cetera, it's, again, important to understand that role because then you can communicate better and be like, OK, I understand you, dude. Like, let's let's try and make it let's meet halfway or whatever we can do right and that is so important in my opinion because um the crew's never really going to understand the the brick wall that money really is right because <laughs> they're busy carrying stuff around and if they don't have good craft service and they're not getting paid enough and there's not enough guys to lift the equipment it doesn't matter what your budget constraints are they're going to be resentful of that but at the same time the crew not only under, understand has to understand that that the budget is literally a brick wall that if you pass it like hot costs one day suddenly they hired 10 guys that you didn't plan on in your budget you, you might be done mm -hmm. like that yeah. you might have blown the budget on that because you have to pay those people if right. it's on a union job that they showed up so i think that mm. the communication between uh, if a producer understands the process that it takes to do the job for the crew then you can it's not adversarial you can go to them and yeah. say Hey, I totally understand why you need to do that, but hey, can we figure out a way not to? Because we don't really have the money. You know, you have to. It's not about negotiating. You're the boss. If you're the producer, you can get what you want, Absolutely. but you have to understand. Like they're only trying to achieve this kind of ethereal, vague thing that <laughs> is in the vision of the director and the DP. That yes. if it, you know, and so you head down that road of trying to fill that vision. Um, so I think absolutely, it's great when producers have a kind of a better notion about what's involved in it. You should know when when the rigging gaffer needs 10 guys, it's not about that he's just trying to have too much labor, at least not most of the time. It's mm -hmm. because he's been asked to do something that is quite challenging. And so it's really uh, great. It's half of the time I feel like experimental, sorry to budge in there, but I, I do feel like, especially on the smaller projects, we're all kind of experimenting in this uh yeah in the environment that you're put in it's mm -hmm. great in my opinion i i it's i think in covid times they're talking a lot about shooting more in studios and stuff because of the control of the environment which mm -hmm. i think is great and people aren't going to want you in their houses and things right. like that but as far as filmmaking is concerned i i think location shooting is 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 it makes the process a lot funner mm -hmm. and it gives it honestly that kind of commando special forces feeling that you like to i mean i was yeah. joking with a friend last night one of the best things because i've been at quasar now for like seven years right and it feels like one long show but one of the best things about being on a movie for like three months six months was that because the hours were long you might be shooting nights you know it's grueling but you're into it because it's this mission that you have, like, you know, going to battle and you have this kind of goal. And once yeah. the mission is done, 
you can breathe, you can relax, you can take a month off, you know, and all of this kind of stuff. So I think that that's the important part about filming. And I think shooting on location really gives it that feeling of like, look, we didn't get into filmmaking because we wanted life to be easy. We right. You know what I mean? Uh, so I, I think that Amen. it's got to be challenging or else why is it even interesting to us? I'm not sure, at least as artistic people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's where some of the most magic happens, too, when you just have to like we talk about this all the time in our show, when you just have to work with whatever you got. And then you might come up with something better because of an inspired more moment. But that all, again, ties back to knowing how to talk to your crew and, and being, again, communicative to the other like departments. And um, then you can all achieve that. Well, that's a collaborative movie. process. Right? Yeah. You need other people to help you. Then you got to right. be cool. I mean, that's yeah. really like, how it, you know what I mean? It's whether they're helping you move to your new house or whether they're helping you make a movie. You know, it's like, you know, you got it. And sometimes it's funny. I mean, you know, for 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 spending so much time in the big Hollywood kind of scene doing larger movies, you do start to get this weird form of um, kind of uh, careerness to it. It, mm-hmm. it starts to really become more about like, okay, I'm a lighting technician. I could probably work on any show right now. So you have to start treating me better in order to like keep me here or else I'm just probably going to go work with those other guys. And an interesting story that I like to tell that is not 100% accurate. So to your, this is fake news. (laughs) Um, uh, IATSE um, was mostly put together because studios couldn't keep their employees day to day Mm. one other studio would be shooting and they would need guys and they would go poach the other guys by paying them more and so creating union really started to establish like look you have to stay and you have to come back tomorrow because you know we need you and we're in the middle of a project which is totally i think a justifiable you know way so labor and the producers actually were more involved cooperatively in creating iotsi as a union than it being like a labor only kind of most mm-hmm. unions are created from the labor side right. mostly uh-huh. and and so IATSE is a lot more of a collaborative kind of uh, union than than any other union I think because of that kind of reason it it, it ensures that artists who can't do the technical side that mm-hmm. they, they can get the job done and that their crew can't walk out on them and things like that so I think it's you know ethically yeah. that yeah, yeah feels good to have yeah. that, that was, of course, <laughs> yeah back in the um back in the uh you know back in the day quite a long time ago <laughs> there's a there's a ton if if it you know not to bore um the the listeners uh but definitely the creation of of the stage unions in the country is a very interesting story especially right now when we're having this kind of like upheaval of old politics in the mm-hmm. country uh um both you know socialism and 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 stuff so i think that looking up the creation of the stage unions is a very good history if you're a filmmaker because they're they were battling with like thomas edison and stuff because he oh, wanted wow. to have control of it because it was his electricity and all of that mm-hmm. kind of stuff Whoa. and there were actual like like um uh, like street gang fights between the wow. unions in New York and stuff where the stage. And so IOTSE kind of came out of this like tumultuous, like trying to get control of this wild industry that was theater and, and, and the burgeoning film oh market, God. of course, at the time. It's a cool look into it. It's really cool. Yeah. We might have to do a little special episode. I know. <laughs> Cause I want to learn this about it now too. This is so yeah. cool. I love that. Yeah. 
Are you a podcaster like us? Vlogger? Interview conductor? Do you need a VO booth or ADR? Remote audio video professional recording? Ooh, Tessa spilled the tea. Well, the Network Studios in Culver City is a fully functional recording oasis with multiple rooms made to cater specifically to audio podcasts, video interviews, and voiceover, plus an experienced sound engineer with the ability to edit and master, all your needs will be covered. Audio engineer extraordinaire Mike Casentini has worked with several podcast heavy hitters and got us started from the ground up. He's the reason we sound so good. Plus, all of our in-studio guests have been very impressed. To find out more, visit www.thenetworkstudios.com and book your next recording session. COVID compliant and open for business. Well, let's let's reel it back <laughs> for us um, wonderful lighting experts, which is not <laughs> me and Tessa. What are, would you say, maybe three key factors to achieving good lighting, especially maybe in use of your product, because again, I feel like it's so versatile or, or just user-friendly and easy to kind of mold into. Could you like help us understand, like if we were to like get your product today to do just light, a, you know, one per person or two person shot, what is the like, three key things we can keep in mind to achieving a great, clear, effective, well-balanced look? I think that, um, First thing to always learn about lighting is you don't need lights. It's about the environment. Mm. If it's dark, mm -hmm. then you need lights. But you always try to figure out a way to uh, use the natural environment and what it has going. Think about your backgrounds. Think about what separates your actors from your backgrounds. Think about, you know, you're looking at a two-dimensional thing, trying to make it seem like it has depth. Mm -hmm. So when you're thinking about lighting it's a lot about the environment itself first and foremost mm. and of course not needing any lights i mean sure if you're specifically trying to be a lighting technician maybe that doesn't sound so good but if you're trying to do things on a budget get in and out and like get a nice shot and have it be natural and beautiful mm. if you can afford to write it for day in the beautiful mm -hmm. sunny field do that don't write it for night in the middle of nowhere right you're right. gonna have to spend i mean these are logical obviously things but then when you get to the next phase it's really i mean classically i guess you would say three-point lighting is the important thing that everybody should know which is um a key a fill and a backlight basically or edge of some kind well the edge might not be needed if your background is doing that separation for you so you might not need to rig that oh, light okay. you know, up there because that's the hardest light to rig because the camera's pointed that way. Mm -hmm. So then you get your fill, um, which kind of adjusts the contrast. So we, in Quasar, we kind of came up with this thing called the four C's. Um, our brilliant uh, 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 color scientist at, at, at Quasar, and he's also our cinematographer on all of our like video, our shoots and stuff, um, Tim Kang. He came up with this thing called the four C's, which is, and I'm going to butcher it, Tim. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it's, uh, con uh, no, it's con contour, contrast, clarity, and color. So your, your 
your contour is about where your key is around mm -hmm. this side here. I know that your listeners can't see, so um, it's the strong light that really creates like the effect of lighting on you. Okay. And then the fill is comes from the other side of the face to just adjust the contrast. So, you know, if you want it to look moody, you don't have any fill. If mm -hmm. you want it to look more soft and enjoyable, if it's beauty lighting, for instance, you have that fill come in and it takes away a lot of the shadow, so forth and so on. What we call clarity would be the backlight because it makes the separation of the subject and it can like give some nice kicks on the shoulders, the hair, it's hair light as we all know about. So <laughs> yeah. that's it. And then color. Well, you, especially nowadays with cameras having a lot more latitude and the different things, you can really apply various colors to all of those different lights mm -hmm. um, and start to create a whole nother dimension of feeling and stuff like that. So for instance, if the background has a green neon across the street. You can put green gel on your backlight and it'll make the, 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 you know, what's the worst thing when we look at like, uh, uh, newscasters in front of green screens, like they don't look like they're there because the light's different. Right. right so, right. so like find those motivators in the background. If there's something back there, that's of color, have a little pack of gels so that you can apply that to your backlight and then boom, you, you land the subject and the environment in such a psychological way that you need to have. And I think the basics are just looking up, you know, what three point lighting, basically key fill backlight. You need to know that if you're a photographer, you need to know that if you're a videographer, you should know that um, you'll, you'll totally screw yourself if you don't know about contrast and whatnot, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that, uh, those are the most important kind of simple aspects. Nothing about lighting is different than that. If you're lighting a bottle of water, mm -hmm. a chair, a person, you need to create depth in the image. And that's really all lighting is about. We've all pressed play on Netflix <laughs> on some shows that had enough budget that they could have, you know, yeah. been better. But right away, I, I have to press stop on those right away. If the image doesn't look quote cinematic, mm -hmm. I can hardly watch it. I can only uh, imagine you know. if I were you. Yeah. yeah. Go crazy. But yeah, yeah. We've definitely all seen them be like, Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah. It, makes it falls a huge flat. Difference. Yeah. It just yeah. falls flat. Yeah. And like you said, that depthness is really key to creating that mood and the overall affecting the environment of your, the emotion you're conveying even. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and yeah. on that note, you know, the biggest advice I think I could give is don't overdo it. Don't overthink your lighting practice. Mm. Everybody forgets almost, especially now in the, in, in like modern time, for some reason, you want to be good at something. You got to practice. Mm -hmm. My advice to all filmmakers out there, don't save your best ideas. You need to be confident. You'll come up with better ideas later or better. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I like that. Because I really like that. You may never get the chance to do your greatest ideas. So don't ever hold them back. In my opinion, yeah. that's important. In my opinion, for filmmakers, don't ever hold back your best ideas because you may never get the chance. And if you want to really be a filmmaker, you need to be able to come up with good ideas like that. So I think and that, take chances and take mm -hmm. chances. Yes, absolutely. And all the best, all the best stuff comes from limitations. So that, you know, what I was saying earlier about don't, move to Hollywood if you want to be a filmmaker. Um, look at some of the best indie filmmakers in the world and then look at the first film where they had money. <laughs> so right. you will see a stark difference in really the, that. So those limitations can be a huge blessing to you and you need to accept them, get around them, um, uh, and, and that'll build a technique for you as a filmmaker. Like I said, you have to practice the lighting. 
go to Home Depot, buy a light bulb and one of those little like cage lights for, you know, working on your car. And then you can just turn it on and, and look, you know, film yourself and or get a subject and just put it in different positions and yep. get a get a baseball and just light the baseball and try. And, you know, I mean, again, if you want to be a lighting technician, I think producers, they should at least pay attention um, above the line. People basically should definitely pay attention to what uh, is trying to be achieved and how you might it. You know, it's 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 obviously important for all of us as filmmakers. I think I try to pretend like we're all filmmakers when we're filmmaking, not you're a producer and I'm a lighting yeah. technician. Yeah. And if you need help pushing the craft service car, craft service card up the hill, I'm going to help push it up. So filmmaking is not this yeah. like, you know, departmental thing and especially on independent things. That's all it is. It's everybody pitching in, which is what makes it so great. I agree. Absolutely. Well, should we get into some demoing? I think it's time. I think so, so listeners, again, if you are just audio listening, um, this will be the end of the episode for you. And if you want to see the products that we're going to demo, obviously, if you're watching, you're going to get to see them. Just a reminder, go to patreon.com slash femregard and join our little subscription. <laughs> yeah, we have a lot of fun things that we try to to record and do BTS of and, and assets to send your way. So it just helps us again. So thank you again to everyone who has. And I'm so excited to see what we have in store now. Thanks for listening to FemRegard Podcast. If you like what you hear, tune in next time for more tips on the filmmaking business and insightful conversations with industry professionals over tea. We can only grow with your support. So please subscribe, share, rate, and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcast. If you leave us a great comment, we might give you a shout out on the show. For more on us, check us out at femregard.com. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.